Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 132 of Chalk Talk. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. And I am joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We're recording this a little later in the week, so I'm already kind of in the in the midst of my gambling research for this weekend for conference championships and for week 13. Um, so I, I almost feel like I'm looking back on this from a different lens than I'm usually looking at on Monday or Tuesday. So I'm excited to get going. All right. Well, we are going to dive into it. Uh, we'll start, as we always do, with the Eagles game, uh, a game that Mark went to. Uh, the Eagles beat the Buffalo Bills 37-34 in overtime. Mark, Josh Allen was slinging in the rain in this game. And at the end of the day, it just falls a little bit short. For the second time in six days, the Eagles found themselves down 17-7 at halftime in a rain game. And they pull through in the second half. Jalen Hurts has now won eight straight games when trailing by double digits. No other quarterback has ever done that four straight or more than four straight times. That is my favorite stat right now that I keep saying over and over. I'm going to be really sad when it goes away because my second favorite stat to quote on podcast died this weekend. Uh, But we'll talk about that one when we get to that game. Uh, What stuck out to you during this game? Yeah, I mean if we're not looking at it from a strictly Eagles standpoint, man, Josh Allen was terrifying to go against Um, him on third down was scary in a way that very few quarterbacks have ever been scary. You know, you think of as an Eagles fan, we've, we really struggled with prime Russell Wilson. I remember him on third down feeling like a nightmare. Aaron Rodgers and his prime really felt like a nightmare. Obviously Patrick Mahomes is a nightmare to everybody on third down. But this Josh Allen, I, I mean, this game from Josh Allen was next level. Uh, it was no matter how far the third down was, you felt like he was going to go get it, and whether it be with his legs or whether it be with a wide open guy over the middle or a throw he had to throw someone open. I, I thought he was fantastic in this game. So before I got into anything, because obviously we're going to focus on things from an Eagles standpoint, um, it is uh, any slander coming at Josh Allen, And not that there's a ton of it, but there was a little bit like, oh, this is why Josh Allen, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, come on, man. He was incredible in this game. He he was 30 or 29 for 51 for 339 yards, two touchdowns, ran for 81 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, The the problem is he was going against the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I think the Buffalo Bills, the way that they played in that game, they probably would have beat. 30 29 other teams in the nfl in their own house but unfortunately they were going up against the best team in the nfl yeah it's josh allen was fantastic in this game i just finished recording an episode of on the shane page with johnny page for bgn radio so if you're a eagles fan check that one out when it drops tomorrow uh where we do our in-depth film review next week but we just talked about when we looked at the eagles defense it was just like I walked away from this game thinking the pass rush played phenomenally. Darius Slay and James Bradbury played their best games of the year. And they gave up 500 yards and 34 points because Josh Allen was just fantastic. He generated a touchdown of EPA as a scrambler. Uh, they were 11 of 18 on third and long. It There's just not, you can't stop that at times. And uh, 
it's it is a shame if the Buffalo Bills miss the playoffs and right now their odds aren't very good because this team can you imagine the Bills getting in as a two seed and all of a sudden the Jags like just missed out on the one seed and they go from like oh week 18 we lost the one seed to now we have to face the Bills in the first round of the playoffs and we might not even beat that game or beat them in that game uh that's just might not even be favored yeah yeah uh so the Buffalo Bills right now have a 14% chance to make the playoffs. They play the Chiefs, the Cowboys, or here, here's the remaining schedule at the Chiefs versus the Cowboys, at the Chargers versus the Patriots, at the Dolphins. Now, they've already beaten the Dolphins. Chargers, Patriots should be wins, you would think. That if they win those three games, that gives them a 50% chance to make the playoffs, depending on what happens in Chiefs and Cowboys. So let's just say they lose to the Chiefs. They beat the Cowboys. That would put them at a 47% chance to make the playoffs per the New York Times playoff simulator. So it's still doable for the Chiefs or for the Bills. They've got to win four of these games. If they flip those, they beat the Chiefs, lose to the Cowboys. That's obviously better because it's in the division. But uh, the Bills, if they miss the playoffs, it's going to be a tragedy because this is such a good team. They're such a fun team to watch. I am definitely going to be pulling for him to get in. Yeah. And then obviously we'll, we'll focus more on the other side of things. Um, Whereas Jalen hurts continues to not lose football games. And in that game, he opened up the, the car door and took a seat into the front seat of the MVP conversation. He's the front runner on, in terms of gambling odds. Now Um, maybe he didn't throw for the amount of yards that the nerds would like, uh, maybe the noise affected score wasn't what the nerds would like, um, but he was at one point he threw three touchdown passes in four attempts. Um, he was responsible for five touchdowns in this game, added 65 yards on the ground, obviously big, big rushing touchdown at the very end of the game, had a big run um, to set them up there. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to mention anybody else, but Jalen hurts first and foremost, where You are never out of a football game when Jalen Hurts is your quarterback. And I guess when Jake Elliott's your kicker too. Um, But when Jalen Hurts is your quarterback, if you're down 10, you really have to start adjusting how you feel because in the stadium, down 17-7 and then again down 24-14, the vibes were low. I mean, even for me, I I didn't have a whole ton of belief that they were going to come back in that game, especially with how Josh Allen looked um, on the other side of the ball. But Jalen Hurts made it happen. And obviously there were other plays that led to that. James Bradbury um, makes a huge interception, uh, which I don't think takes too much away from what Josh Allen's day was. Zacchaeus makes the huge catch in the end zone, but it it comes down to Jalen Hurts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. So the Eagles score on five of their final six possessions, four touchdowns and a field goal. Uh, The one that they didn't, was a three and out in the one possession where they actually had a lead. So they take a lead, they get a stop immediately go three and out when it ends up in overtime. Like, I mean, let's just be honest. The Eagles get the ball down three. I I wasn't, it was, I was just, all right, this is going to overtime. Like I felt that. And mm-hmm. they get down there. Jake Elliott hits a 59 yard field goal in a monsoon. Uh, Jake Elliott, by the way, has never missed a game tying or go ahead field goal in the final two minutes of regulation or overtime. Also, Jake Elliott has made 5% of all NFL field goals ever made over 59 yards. 
fun fun <laughs> stat for you there. He is the best kicker in Eagles history. It's not a debate. Uh, sorry, David Akers. It's not a debate anymore. Um, Great draft speech from David Akers, though. It is true. We do need Jake Elliott to make a draft speech, maybe to yeah. fully ice it. But <laughs> phenomenal kick. Um, you go into overtime, and when the Bills won the toss, I literally said to my wife, I said, good. Because the Eagles need them to go kick a field goal. That's the only way they can trail in overtime. <laughs> and thus the only way they'll win. And so when they, of course, when they do, they kick the field goal. After the game, so my wife, uh, we went to the Dolphins game uh, earlier this season. And my wife's never been big into the into football. I mean, she lets me do my thing, but she's not really watching games. She's wanted to watch games since then. So we've been watching the games. And after the game ended, she was just like, are Eagles games always like this? And I was just like, yes, they, <laughs> they are. Like absolutely. It. She yeah, needed to be yeah. a fan last year when it was easier. Yeah, but, the last year was an easy one to, to be a fan. But yeah, every game seems to – that meme that's going around where it's uh, – I can't wait to watch my <laughs> – I can't wait to watch my favorite team. I want to die. And then, oh, my favorite team won. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really what this Eagles team is. Um, and, yeah. and this game personified that. Yeah, the the other, two other things I'll mention in this game. Uh, one is that the 37 points scored by the Eagles is the most allowed by the Bills defense this year. And if you want to say, okay, but it was only 31 in regulation, that would also be the most they've allowed this year. And it was in a rainstorm where the opposing where the Eagles offense really only showed up for a half. And so it was an incredible performance by the Eagles offense in a game where you were trading blows, though. It is hard not to fault Sean McDermott for how the end of the game played out. So the Eagles on third down, uh, there's two timeouts, right? And they it's like third and 17 or whatever it was. They try to throw the completion to A.J. Brown. It gets knocked down, thankfully, because it would have only been a two-yard gain to begin with. And you've got Jake Elliott standing on the sideline ready to run a fire drill out onto the field because the Eagles have no timeouts. And so... He sprints out on, or well, he doesn't have to sprint out, but he's not getting like those extra few kicks at the net. You know, he's already iced himself is what I'm saying. Because he's just standing there thinking about running out for this kick. You call a timeout to ice the kicker. You let him walk to the sideline, swing the leg a few times, reset. You get out and you hit the or the field goal. And then instead of having one timeout with 20 seconds left, or instead of having two, you have one, right? And then you kneel the ball after seeing Patrick Mahomes get in field goal range in 13 seconds, two years ago to knock you out of the playoffs. The bills decided to take a knee with 20 seconds and one that should have been two timeouts. That is inexcusable for the way Josh Allen was playing. Now I know they got the ball first in overtime and they moved down the field. They could have done that in regulation and a field goal could have won the game. And I think it's just bizarre. Now, granted they had a field goal blocked. They missed a field goal. Maybe they're just weighing, uh, risk and reward there but i thought that was just a horrible decision by sean mcdermott yeah i can't agree more our section was terrified that we kicked a field goal with too much time left um we were all scared that josh allen you know one big play they had a timeout i mean get a pass interference um there's so many things that can happen and you, you know when you watch football every week week in and week out we talk about it every week something crazy happens at the end of one game every week it seems um, so I, I don't know how you wouldn't give yourself at least a chance to get down the field there. 
um, especially with your franchise's history. I may or may not have been a little uh, liquored up at, at the game and around some Bills fans. And when they when they lined up to kneel it, I, I was in disbelief. I just started yelling, well, at least, you know, the Bills have never seen any game be decided by the last, you know, 13 seconds of regulation. That, that, that's certainly something that's never happened um, in, in this franchise. So, yeah, I, I it's incredible that they made the overtime. They, you know, they complained and moaned for an entire offseason to get new overtime rules. And Josh Allen is 0-6 in his career in overtime. It's pretty incredible. Um, and yeah, once, and you said once the Eagles were down three, you knew, all right, they're going to go down. We're going to get overtime. Once the Bills only kicked a field goal in overtime, I was Brandon Graham. And I don't know who, I, I, I felt the exact same way. If anyone hasn't seen the video that the Eagles put out, by the way, congrats to Brandon Graham becoming the um, the longest tenured Eagle in terms of games played of all time in, in his career in that game also. But the viral video with him yelling at the at the guys on the the block team for for the field goal, um, yelling you y'all don't know Jalen Hurts like I know Jalen Hurts. We're gonna <laughs> go and win this game. Y'all don't know Jalen Hurts like I know Jalen Hurts. And that's exactly how I felt. Once they kicked that field goal, I was like, all right, well, we're gonna go score a touchdown and win this game. There wasn't like a oh, is it gonna be a tie? Are we gonna lose? Are we? Well, there was none of that. I felt extremely confident the whole way. And that, that brings up an, another conversation. And I hate to be the, the glass half empty kind of conversation. And it's not, that's not where I'm going at all, but Brian Johnson ha- has been a lightning rod um, in, in terms of his play calling. And I think we've both expressed some concern and expressed some, uh, some complaints about the offense at times for sure, but it's, ridiculous how good they are in these situations i mean i think you had the chart with epa in the fourth quarter in non-garbage time how incredible they've been i mean you think about the drives down the stretch obviously jason kelsey with the false starts and on the field goal drive almost kind of ruined it but they got the ball down there pretty fast they got the ball all the way down to the 31 initially and then on the touchdown drive i mean that was surgical stuff from jalen hurts and from uh from everyone on that drive deandre swift had a great run um, it, it was it, that those drives are so well put together. And then the drives that we complain about are so ugly that I was arguing about this on radio yesterday or uh, on, on Monday with Sean Brace and John Jansen, where I was saying, is there a chance that these drives we're seeing at the end of the games? Is that Jalen checking into things? Is that Nick Sirianni? taking a step up and kind of being a bigger part of the play calling? Is that Nick Sirianni stepping up at halftime and saying, here's what I'm seeing and maybe let's mix this stuff in? Or is it simply, this is kind of what I'm a little skeptical that it's this. And this is what John Jansen said. He thinks it's just Brian Johnson adjusting to a defense throughout a game. And maybe he's not the best preparer in terms of scripting the 15, 20 plays, which is generally the easy part of an offensive play caller's job. And maybe he's better at adjusting to what the defense is throwing at him and, and counter striking. I find it hard to believe it's that I think it's gotta be Jalen or Nick kind of stepping up and deviating from the initial game plan. If you had to take a guess on, on that, what, what do you think? Or is it a combo of both? I think in this week in particular, I think the bigger issue was execution in the first half than play okay. calling. Um, 
Uh, Jalen Hurts was bad in the first half and phenomenal in the second half. And you'd rather have that than the flip. But um, I thought the one of the bigger issues in the first half was Jalen was doing a really poor job of reading out RPOs and zone reads. And so he was routinely, uh, and I talked about this some with Johnny, but uh, he was routinely pulling the ball when he should have given it. And he was routine. He, there was a few where he gave it when he shouldn't have. And I thought in the second half, uh, the Eagles stopped calling as many RPOs. They stopped running from two by two sets running split zone because the bills had good defense for that. They started getting into three by one and running more uh, like pin pull outside zone type of stuff. And I thought that really sprung the offense open. And so um there was a certain shift. They went from running a lot of two by two to three by one, and they stopped being so RPO heavy early in the second half. After obviously they come out of the second half and Jalen takes a sack on an RPO on the first play. Um, I thought there's, there's some plays I look at and I'm like, I don't really know what the design was here. Uh, but there was a lot of also just poor execution. I felt like in the first half kind of across the board. Yeah, th- there was the, the thing where apparently Jalen, may have checked into that run at the end for the touchdown mm-hmm. and Jalen checked in uh, to the, the, the deep ball to Devante last yep. week. And Nick is pointing these Sirianni's pointing these things out. Um, I think to give Jalen credit, but obviously he's not going to point that out on the plays that aren't huge. Um, you know, there's a 10 yard pass over the middle that he's not going to point that out. I just, I mean, it's, a, I think it's a good thing if mm-hmm. Jalen is seeing that stuff and checking into that stuff. I I'm almost just curious how much more it's happening than we know. If, if it happened in those spots, which are huge spots in two big games, I, I wonder kind of how much freedom Jalen has to kind of check in and out of things in a way that I don't think he did in last year or the year before. Yeah. And even the nature of an RPO is giving your quarterback a lot. Well, yeah, of, of course, even, even that's given him a lot of, you know, people, Eagles fans like to talk about running the ball more. And that's one of my problems with RPOs that, and we're getting way off in the weeds, more in depth on yeah. film stuff than normal here. But the the Bills played a light box count on seventy two percent of early downs. The problem with sometimes you just need to stick the ball in the belly of your back and go get yards because the problem with running an RPO, you're leaving the defensive end unblocked to gain an advantage in the blocking. Well, if they're playing a light box, you already have that advantage. And so by running an RPO and leaving that guy unblocked, what you're allowing him to do is dive on the running back. And that forces you to pull the ball and throw it against a light box. So you're letting the defense stop the run while devoting more people to coverage. Mm -hmm. And that was happening in the first half. The bills were sitting in light boxes. The Eagles were running RPOs and the bills were forcing them with how their defensive end played to throw it into those light box counts. And so it was the worst of both worlds for the Eagles, best of both worlds for the Bills, because, you know, it's hard to stop the Eagles rushing attack from a neutral box, much less a light box. But sometimes calling RPOs allows that to happen. Uh, And that's one of the things I thought they did a good job of getting out of in the second half. They went away from those RPOs and just started running the ball. And they started using DeAndre Swift, which Mm -hmm. don't know why he didn't have a carry in the first half. Um, It's not like Gainwell and... um, if you look at Gamewell and Scott's numbers, it's not like they got a ton of carries, honestly. I think they got four between them, and I actually think it was for like 33 yards combined. So it's not like they did a terrible job, but it is just weird that that 
DeAndre Swift didn't really get a chance in, in the first half at all. And then in the second half, he was used as such a feature back. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Swift, Kyle Brandt said it on Good Morning Football, no one's c- cutting harder in the NFL than DeAndre Swift. I mean, the the runs that he has and the one he had at the end of the game where he's just making guys miss and cutting on a dime, is it's crazy to have kind of what he brings to the offense. And you're kind of seeing more of it without Goddard, I feel like. Um, not that he was a huge part of the passing game. He was, he did get one – he got one catch for four yards, and it was, on a, it was a first down. I remember it was kind of – I think it was a third down pickup. But, yeah, I, I think you're – I think DeAndre Swift is going to be an absolute weapon come playoff time. And I hope it's something they start using a little bit more in the passing game. Yeah. All right. Uh, are you ready to move on to Thanksgiving games? Um, I, I guess just, I don't know if we'll touch on it later, but just do you want to touch on the whole, I, it's not even about this game as much. I, I mean, I guess it is, but just the the narrative uh, around the Eagles being that they're lucky Obviously, coming up this week in San Fran, they are a home underdog um, of plus three points. The gambling community has really come out against the Eagles, it, it seems like, which is funny because I think I think there's like nine and two against the spread. So you'd think they would like them. But um, a lot of the gambling community, very stats-based, very analytics-based, pointing at these charts, pointing at DVOA, pointing at all these things that suggest that the Eagles aren't as good as their record. What's kind of your main rebuttal to that? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the NFL schedule, the Eagles are at 10-1, and one, and then there are, what, eight teams with three losses, and three of those teams the Eagles played and beat. Um, they won't play the Ravens, who I've, I think are maybe the second-best team in the NFL. The Lions are kind of trending in a bad direction, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about, and then you've got the Jaguars, and I – I just, there's a reason you play the games like these advanced stats and things. They should help you understand what's happening. They shouldn't set the narrative of what's happening. And the Eagles in back-to-back weeks have beaten the Chiefs on the road and they've beaten the Bills. And I don't care that it's by one score. They're winning games. And there's there's luck elements in every football game and there's also an element of making your own luck and if the eagles played the bills 10 times would they beat them all 10 times they wouldn't uh but the eagles are 10 and 1 for a reason and i think some of the point differential stuff gets blown out of proportion a little bit because you look at the early season when the eagles were adjusting to two new coordinators and they were very inefficient in the red zone And so, yeah, they didn't blow out a lot of teams early in the year when they faced the easier part of the schedule. But what they did do was just continue winning football games. Uh, And now they're playing these good teams and they are winning. And so I I don't care. This weekend is going to be a huge game. I'll be interested to see what the discourse is uh, if the Eagles beat the 49ers. Uh, I would assume it would have to change a little bit at that point. But the Eagles are 10 and 1. And their schedule hasn't been easy. Like this is this at, before they entered this stretch. I think it was ESPN analytics had the Eagles losing four straight games. Uh, they've won three of those four. So uh, you go beat the 49ers and there's no more discussion. And you got a 95 shot at the 95% chance at the one seat. If you lose, then you got to go beat the Cowboys. And I, this is a concerning game because 
you're playing the 49ers coming off of a longer week. Uh, you're coming off of a short week game that went into overtime. They're coming off three extra days rest. And all of a sudden you might be missing a second linebacker due to injury for the game. And that's not good against a team in the 49ers that runs a lot of heavy personnel, but it's the Eagles and the way they've played. Uh, I, I feel really confident they're at least going to stick in it. So um, we'll see what happens this weekend. Yeah. And the, the big news we're obviously waiting on with Lane. Uh, with Dallas Goddard, with Fletch. Is there any update on any of those? Or I, I think they're all kind of up in the air at this point. Um, those, I, I think it can't be forgotten that the Eagles won the last two weeks without Dallas Goddard. They won against Buffalo without Lane Johnson and Dallas Goddard while Fletch got hurt early in that game. Um, I, I just think that, if yeah, if the Eagles would have played the Cowboys' schedule, I think there's a good chance they would have been able to build up build up their DVOA numbers because they would have impressed more against bad teams. Mm-hmm. But you know the the fact that these all these betting adjusted lines, these betting adjusted graphs, um, ranking teams, and they want to say that the Cowboys are the second best team in the NFL to the 49ers. What happened when the Cowboys and 49ers played? The Cowboys lost by a billion. Mm-hmm. We're saying that's the second best team in the NFL, and I know one result doesn't dictate everything. But let's be realistic about things. And I, I actually do think that the uh, that the Cowboys are a top five team in the NFL. But to have them definitively ahead of teams like the Chiefs and the Eagles is, is just crazy to me. Um, but, uh, by the way, breaking news, Shaq Leonard um, will be taking time to think on it and make a decision over the weekend between the Eagles and Cowboys. That's I, I, Why wouldn't you want to get here faster? Come on, Shaq. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, um, injury injury news. Lane Johnson's expected to play. Zach Cunningham is expected to be out. And then I haven't heard anything on Fletcher Cox yet. Dallas Goddard's pushing to play. Uh, that Cunningham loss is huge, though. Not a preview pod, but that Cunningham loss is huge against 49ers. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Uh, anything else you want to say on that? Or are you ready to go on to Thanksgiving? Nope, ready to go. All right, we're going to hop into the Thanksgiving, three Thanksgiving and one Black Friday uh, game. And we're going to do these one minute drill style uh, because these games were so long ago. It's a little bit of old news and we're going to kind of speed through these to get into the rest of the meat of the show. So, uh, Mark, you are up first uh, as I try to set my screen share here. You're going to be up first and I'll put you on the clock for Packers Lions. T minus one minute. Thanksgiving tradition, unlike any other, the Lions lose. Uh, we all thought it might be different this year. You know, the Lions were eight and two going into the game. I mean, last week on the show, I said that they were the number one contender in terms of taking the buy away from the Eagles. But the Green Bay Packers did the Eagles and the Niners and or the Cowboys, whoever you want to say is going to vie for that top spot, a big time favor by taking care of Detroit on the road. They won by seven. The, the score didn't feel that close to me. This is just one of those games that confirms that Green Bay's a lot better than we thought they were over the last you know month or so before they've started winning games, and that Detroit is not ready for prime time. The defense just isn't good enough, and you saw the return of Jared Goff on the fritz, throwing turn, throwing picks, fumbling the ball. He looked like the version of the guy that Sean McVay thought, I have to get rid of this guy. Uh, and the Lions, you know, it was a fun story. It was cute. I think it's over. All right, there you go. Uh, one thing I do want to add 
on this game. You mentioned the defense. Uh, since week seven, Detroit ranks 32nd in both defensive EPA and defensive success rate. So this is certainly a team that is headed in the wrong direction. Yeah, and when I say it's over for them, I really just mean like they can't compete in, for a real way. Like they could maybe win a playoff game against the wild card team, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, that puts me on the clock for Washington, Dallas. Uh, so one let's minute. go. Uh, Dallas blows out Washington 45 to 10. Uh, there were some cowardly decisions, some bad situational coaching by Washington in this game. Uh, on their first two drives, they punted on fourth and four and fourth and two, both from the Dallas 44-yard line. You can't be doing that as that big of an underdog. Like, what do you have to lose? Later in the game, they took a shot on third and one, and then they failed on fourth and one and didn't pick up the first down. Uh, but Washington doesn't matter. They're irrelevant. What really matters is the Dallas passing attack, which continues to thrive. Uh, Dak Prescott is on an absolute heater right now. He's thrown for 300 plus yards in four of the last five games with a 17 to two touchdown to interception ratio. Um, Obviously he melted down against the 49ers earlier this year. There's some big games coming for Dallas, but if he can continue to play at this level, Dallas is legit. Also Deron Bland gets his fifth pick six of the season. Most by a player ever in the season. The, the call on that was great from Nance. Yes. Yeah. That was, if you haven't seen that one, you should definitely go uh, search that one out on Twitter. So, okay. Oh, timeout. Timeout. This is not about that game. This is more about the Eagles game, but it, re- it kind of relates back to the Nance thing. Shane half, not someone who I would say cares about a an announcers all that much. I don't think you spend a lot of time talking about them on the show or I, I definitely do. So I was at the game. I did not watch the game on TV. I am generally a very big Tony Romo fan on commentary. I will also admit that with the caveat of saying, I think he has about one thing every game or every other week where he says, where you're just like, wait a second, that, that's not true, Tony. Or like, that's just not how, like where he just messes something up or a down four. I, I did see that people were going nuts about that. He suggested they kick a field goal down four or something. So yeah, I, I I'll just give you a chance to talk about Tony Romo for a second. Yeah. I love Tony when he first started calling games. I thought mm-hmm. he was doing something nobody's ever done uh, in a booth. Uh, that's been replaced by Greg Olson for me. Now I think Greg Olson's the best commentator mm-hmm. out there. And I generally still don't have a big problem with Romo, but he openly cheered for like, he was openly cheering for the bills the entire game. It was disgusting. Uh, it should not be how a game's called. It was that was pitiful. And uh, if that's if he is unable to be impartial in those games, just don't put him on Eagles games. And that's simple. He can go call other games and probably do a good job. But it was disgusting. Uh, like there was not a close call. Like you know, you know how it is. There's calls that yeah, can go yeah. either way all throughout a game. A dozen of them. Ever there was not a single one that he thought should have gone the Eagles way. Like everything everything where there was any remote chance it could go either way it's bills all the way like openly cheering for the bills he was stunned when, when like the eagles walked that off with a touchdown literally just couldn't talk it's just, i think i think he was just so sad if i'm being honest yeah i, I it's funny because i don't I, I've, I've seen romo call eagles games and i haven't picked up that vibe it does feel like he loves mahomes and allen it, mm-hmm. it feels like i mean there's the cbs afc guys it feels like he 
just loves those guys. And I'm sure he has a relationship with them. I, and it's not just you that I heard it from Sean brace um, on radio was going nuts about it. A lot of people tweeting about it. So definitely not an unpopular take from you. Um, I'm almost happy that that was the game I chose to go to. So Tony <laughs> Romo is not ruined for me now. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to, I mentioned you on radio um, tweeting about it on Monday. Uh, so I, I thought I remembered and I wanted to bring it up here. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was getting very grumpy during the game and people were <laughs> like, not. people were like, just mute it. And I was like, I'm watching with my family and they don't want me to mute it. Otherwise no, you can't that. for anyone saying that it's, you need to hear what's going on. Like yeah. the, the muting thing. I, I, uh, uh, I had a, a kind of a tiff um, with during the Phillies playoffs, uh, Brian Anderson uh, was the play by play guy on TBS TBS, Shane, you're not a big baseball guy. TBS, as a broadcasting station, was basically built on Atlanta Braves baseball. Uh-huh. Like, that that's what the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, it's why, like, the entire country has Braves fans all over the place because TBS played all their games, especially, like, the whole South roots for the Braves. And Brian Anderson, during this TBS series between the Braves and the Phillies, made no bones about the fact that it, it was very clear who he was supporting, in my opinion. And, you know, I got all the people coming after me, calling me a homer. So I can definitely understand kind of where you're coming at. And just because you didn't think Tony Romo did a great job in that game and you thought he'd be biased doesn't mean you hate him, obviously. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So and I think I think he's on the Super Bowl this year. So if the Eagles make it to the Super Bowl, you and I might have to figure out a way to, like, go live and call the game and let people have an option of what to listen to. (laughs) Is all I'm Mahomes, saying. Yeah, Mahomes is his guy too, and I, I think that's what it'll be. So yeah, well, it'll probably be Lamar, but okay. I I really don't think so, but we'll talk about that when we get to Sunday Night Football. Yeah. All right. So let's put you on the clock here for San Francisco, Seattle. Uh, here we go. Minus one minute. I might only need twenty seconds on this game. San <laughs> Fran good, Seattle bad. No, I, I mean I I was. Two weeks ago, when we talked about the playoff picture, maybe even last week, I was too dismissive of teams like Green Bay and the Rams getting back into it. And I thought Seattle could lose a couple of these games and it wouldn't even matter um, because I didn't think those teams had it in them to kind of get back in the race. It seems like Seattle's done. Um, It seems like I just can't see them beating Dallas or Philly or San Fran over these next three weeks. And even after that, I think there's another tough one after that. Maybe I think Pittsburgh or or something like that in the mix. Another one of those kind of fringe playoff teams, I think, from the AFC. So not an easy schedule for Seattle. But, yeah, San Fran, I mean, Brock Purdy has the easiest job in the history of the NFL. I mean, this offense – Kyle Shanahan call and plays. Christian McCaffrey's unbelievable. Debo Samuel is a little overrated, but he's still unbelievable. Ayuk's unbelievable. Kittle's unbelievable. They're really good. You ran out of guys to say are unbelievable there at the end. I could have went with Trent Williams, too. Yeah. So All right. And that takes us up to Black Friday, uh, which was the Miami Dolphins at the New York Jets. I will throw myself on the clock for that one. Uh, T-minus one minute. All right, the Miami Dolphins traveled to the Jets. They win this game 34-13 to at MetLife. Uh, the Jets' offense was bad as per usual. Who would have known Tim Boyle was going to be bad? Uh, but a defensive score brought them within four points before half, and then the ill-fated 99-yard pick six on a Hail Mary by Javon Holland left the MetLife crowd stunned going into halftime. I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, The Jets offense did not break 100 yards in this game until the fourth quarter. 
uh, which made it easy for Miami to overcome turning the ball over three times, including two Tua Tagovailoa interceptions. That is something they're going to need to clean up if they're going to be true contenders moving forward. And they have a shot at the one seat in the AFC. The Jets are just unwatchable right now. I'm not going to rant again about how they threw the season away because I've said it all before, but it is truly sad to see such an incredible defense wasted. Make no mistake, they are being wasted. 20 picks and fumbles for Tua um, on the season. A lot of those fumbles have been recovered, but a little concerning. Yeah. All right, let's get into our Sunday games now. We'll slow it down. We can talk a little more about some of these games. Some of them still... uh, aren't the most interesting games, but let's start off with Atlanta at new Orleans, which is kind of an interesting game for the NFC South Atlanta wins 24 to 14. The saints entered this game as the only NFC South team without a losing record after their loss to the saints. They no longer hold that distinction. All the teams in the South have losing records. The Falcons and the saints both stand at five and six. Uh, Jesse Bates made the difference in this game for Atlanta. In the first quarter, as the Saints threatened to take a two-score lead, he jumped a Derek Carr pass and ran it back 92 yards for a touchdown. Then in the third quarter, up 14-12, to 12, Taysom Hill had a carry to the nine-yard line, but Bates punched the ball out and the Falcons recovered. Uh, the Falcons have six interceptions as a team. Jesse Bates has four of them. They have forced 10 fumbles, and he's forced three of them. He was worth every penny in free agency. Uh, the Saints, the story of the game for them was red zone inefficiency. They were 0 of 5 in the red zone in this one. That's a great way to lose a football game at home. Yeah, great lose, great way to lose any football game is to have Dennis Allen be your head coach, it, it appears. Um, he His career record is just an absolute abomination. I don't have it right in front of me, but it's really, really bad as a head coach. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of players on the Saints kind of sending out some subtweets liking some tweets uh, on Twitter um, relating to Dennis Allen. I guess Dennis Allen, if you watch his press conference, the one I watched around the NFL today and they played it, um, Dennis Allen has a tendency to say, we have to be better. He just says constantly, we have to be better. We have to be better. Yeah, we're going to have to do that better. And Alvin Kamara basically liked the tweet from someone saying, like, stop saying to be better and actually tell the players what to do to get better. And I, I guess that, there's yeah, not a lot of faith in the coaching staff going on in that locker room in New Orleans. Kind of made me feel like this division's Atlanta's to lose. Obviously, a big win for Atlanta um, just to, to tie it up and make sure that New Orleans can't win the tiebreaker there. But um, yeah, I, that kind of those rumblings from, from the locker room can't make you feel good about a Saints team that just takes no chances down the field. Everything the Saints do is within five yards. They throw these little ins, these little slants, these screens to Kamara. Um, they do a good job. It seems like um, at the end of games, like they scored a, they had, they had a couple field goal drives at the end of this game to make the stats look better than they are. Like Derek Carr put up 304 yards in this game. You look at the stat line, you might think it was pretty good. The offense was horrible in this game. And you would never know it just from looking at the stats. I mean, they outgained Atlanta by 50 yards. They had 444 yards. Didn't feel like it. Yeah, and by the way, uh, this is a Saints team that is all in. They are projected $71.5 million over the cap next (laughs) season. Uh, This is just a team that should have let it go 
several years ago, and they would probably be in a radically different spot right now. Wow, they were 0 for 5 in the red zone? Yeah. That is that is astounding, astounding stuff. we got um, Mitch yeah, you... chiming in on YouTube. What's up, guys? What's up, Mitch? Welcome to the show. Glad to see you out here in the chat. Hopefully shirking some work on a Wednesday afternoon and listening to Sports Talk instead. Yeah, and you mentioned the pick from Derek Carr. Um, that's the game. Yeah, they were they were uh, I forget the I have it right here. They're up three nothing, looked like they were about to score a touchdown. You could go up ten nothing instead, being down seven three, yep. instead of going up ten nothing with these offenses. That's the game. Um, yep. so yeah, that that's really all that there is to say. All right, let's move on to Cincinnati, where the Pittsburgh Steelers beat Cincinnati 16 to 10. Mark, let me tell you a story about a man named Matt Canada. The year was 2020. The Steelers lost a wild card game to the Browns 37 to 48. They put up 553 yards of offense, but could not win the game. They went out that offseason. They hired a man by the name of Matt Canada to be their offensive coordinator. And for the next 1,051 days, he would coach 45 games for the Steelers. And never once would they reach the pinnacle of 400 offensive yards. In that time, offenses had 333 such performances in the NFL, but the Steelers had zero. Well, unfortunately, last week, the time had come for Matt Canada. He was fired by the Steelers. And in the first game without him, the Steelers found the cantidote. They put up 500 yards of offense, or excuse me, 400 yards of offense in a win over the Bengals. That is my second favorite stat that I can no longer use. So hopefully the Jalen Hurts one lives forever. Uh, Pittsburgh had six plays of 20 plus yards in this game, four passes and two runs. Um, They still had issues finishing drives. They went one of four in the red zone, but they moved the ball between the 20s. Well, I thought they let Pickett push the ball downfield and over the middle of the field more. Uh, There's still instances with Pickett where, uh, he's late. He's a hitch. He, he's a hitch late. And that causes some issues, but hopefully he can work that out uh, on the Bengals side. The Bengals offense was just stuck in the mud without Joe Burrow. We said their season was over a week ago, and that's true. Uh, Joe Mixon couldn't run the ball 16 yards on eight carries. TJ Watt had two sacks and four pressures. Uh, Watt now has 91 sacks, which so he joined Reggie White as the only player with over 90 sacks in their first 100 games as the Steelers held Cincinnati to only 10 first downs and 25 rushing yards. So that concludes the story of Matt Canada. Uh, Mark, what did you see in this one? Yeah, I thought this was one of the better games I've ever seen Kenny Pickett play. This is kind of what I had in mind with Kenny Pickett. Um, and was it perfect? No. Um, but he pushed it down the field, like you said, and um, was, it wasn't all sideways. It was finally somewhat resembling a, a modern NFL offense, um, which is really all you can ask for. And then on the other side, uh, I guess Jake Browning wasn't an abomination, but he wasn't a competitive starting quarterback either. Um, so I, I think that the Bengals will be pretty big underdogs the rest of the way. I think you saw Joe Mixon. Um, in a game where they really need the running game to work, it's not going to work without Joe Burrow. It, I think Joe Mixon is half past cooked. Um, and some of his stats have looked good at times this year. I think a lot of that's just having to do with having the weapons of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and having to worry about Joe Burrow. Um, I, I think 
yeah, I mean, we said it last week, but the Bengals season's over. Yeah. All right. Let's keep rolling here to a showdown in the AFC South Jacksonville at Houston. Jacksonville won 24 to 21. They remain the Kings of the AFC South for now uh, doing just enough to pull this out. They take a two game lead in the division. Uh, They still do have the Ravens and the Browns on the schedule, but outside of that, it's really easy. Uh, Houston also has the Browns. They have Denver and Indianapolis. So I think the Jags are in prime position to win the division at this point, but I still think Houston's going to make the playoffs. Um, Trevor Lawrence pushed the ball downfield again, something we've been begging the Jags offense to do, and they've showcased that the last two weeks. Uh, He was 7 of 14 for 180 yards on passes over 10 air yards. This all culminated in a potential C.J. Stroud comeback bid once again that fell short uh, as the Texans missed a 58-yard field goal attempt that would have tied the game. Uh, There was some weird game management stuff from the Texans, like, down 10 on their own 46 they went for it in the early fourth quarter on a fourth and one but they called pass plays on both third and fourth and the fourth down pass was a deep ball i mean just guys just qb sneak it is not hard third and fourth and one um my main takeaway though is lawrence and stroud is going to be an absolute treat to watch for the foreseeable future you add into that anthony richardson in indianapolis if he's able to come off of his injury and be as dynamic as he looked this year. The AFC South has young quarterbacks that are going to be a lot of fun to watch for a long time moving forward. Yeah, we'll see on Will Levis too. Um, yeah. Obviously not great showings uh, to start, but he's had some promise too. So all young quarterbacks, it's exciting. and But not exciting if you ask Trevor Lawrence. Did you see what Trevor, what Trevor had to say about that? I didn't. What did he say? They asked him, like, are you excited to kind of play C.J. Stroud for the next however many years? And it seems like that's going to be a, a really fun rivalry in the division and play a lot of primetime games against each other. And he was like, no, I'd prefer for the teams in the division to be as bad as possible. <laughs> um, uh, he's like, I'm not excited about it. He's like, CJ's great. We all know that. He's like, nobody knows more than me how hard it is to be good as a rookie but yeah i wish he was on another team like it it was pretty it was pretty great uh from trevor but not a guy who says a lot of interesting things i i don't think like he's pretty buttoned up but i thought i thought that was funny but uh hitting back on the point that from last week that i had about the jags the jags offense played really well in this game trevor lawrence played really well in this game what's the common denominator shane in the Jags and Trevor Lawrence and the offense playing well. Pushing the ball downfield. Oh, oh, he froze. Okay, Mark froze. He's going to be back and he's going to tell us what the what what the key is at some point. Um I was just going to say I think it's really funny. Uh we talk about, you know, Trevor Lawrence is in his third year in the NFL. Oh, there you go. You're back. I'll save, no... I'll save my tidbit because I wanted to get your reaction to it anyway. So what's the secret, Mark? I have no idea what just happened. First of all, that was insane. Getting past that. Um, it's Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley in wins and losses. We talked about this last week, right? Am I am I imagining that? Did I, was that a dream that I had where we were on a podcast together? No, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Ridley? Okay, I was just making sure. I was like, geez, I thought I talked about that. Um, in losses and wins, his his stats are completely different. 
In wins, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. In losses, he's completely invisible. And in this week, I think it was six catches. Yeah, five catches on six targets, 89 yards, and a touchdown. Big touchdown, if I'm not mistaken, as well in that game um, to put them up uh, later in the game. I I just think if he's going, this Jags offense will be going. It seems like he's been a little inconsistent at times this year. um, But down the stretch lately, he's been really good. Uh, So I'm expecting more of that down the stretch for Jacksonville. And I think there's a chance that too many people threw Jacksonville out in the trash when they lost big time to San Francisco. But, hey, we're letting Dallas be the second best team in the NFL now. Dallas is the – they're the hot new flavor. Jacksonville's beaten better teams than Dallas has. That Houston win alone this week is more impressive than anything Dallas has done this year. And we're just crowning Dallas – and kill, and no one wants to give Jacksonville any credit. Jacksonville's accomplished just as much as Dallas has in the last in recent memory in the playoffs. They won a playoff game last year. Dallas hasn't won more than a playoff game since before I was born. So I just think uh, I think Jacksonville people are sleeping on them. Yeah, I was gonna make a point about Trevor Lawrence. He's the old guy in the division now, right? He is. Like. Got all these young quarterbacks, but you know what's funny? Trevor Lawrence in his third NFL season, he's thrown over 1,500 NFL passes. Did you know he's not the oldest starting quarterback in the division? Um, Let me think. Let me think. It's got to be Stroud, right? It's Levis. Levis. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Levis, who's thrown 150 passes. Uh, is Oh, no, no, sorry. I got that wrong. He's two months younger than Lawrence, not two months older, but they're both 24. Uh, okay. So okay. it ruins it a little bit, that. but yeah, Stroud's only 22. Richardson's 21. Uh, yeah, wow. very young. I forgot, forgot Levis was that old. Um, yeah. It's probably, it probably played a part in me being not all that high on him in the draft. I, I totally, totally forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Indianapolis, uh, Tampa Bay at Indianapolis. Uh, Tampa Bay lost this game 20 to 27. Uh, the Colts forced two turnovers. They pressured Baker Mayfield 16 times, including six sacks, one of which was a strip sack. I think this was very much a Baker Mayfield is who he's always been an up and down player, right? Like he had one drive where he scrambled for a first on third and eight. Uh, he threaded the needle for a for, or for on a fourth down pass. They end up scoring a touchdown. Later, he throws an ugly interception and he loses a fumble. Um, If Tampa Bay could get a quarterback, like the bones are there on this roster still. I just don't think they're going to be in the place to do it. Uh, On the Indianapolis side, they continue to win games. Jonathan Taylor averaged 6.1 yards per carry. He had 37 rushing yards over expectation, which is his highest total of the year. He also passed Marshall Falk for the most rushing touchdowns by a Colt in their first four years. I'm young enough. I didn't even know Marshall Falk was a Colt. I just remember him as a Ram. Uh, but then, of course, you had news that came out. Have you seen the Jonathan Taylor news today? Yes. Yeah, so Jonathan Taylor sustained a thumb injury, uh, and he's probably going to miss a couple weeks, uh, which is really unfortunate for the Colts as they try to make a playoff push here. Yeah, it definitely is. I will say Zach Moss did a really good job um, earlier this year, and I think had like a 200-yard game. Um, So I don't think it's a death knell for Indy, and you look at their schedule down the stretch, it's not very hard. Um, In fact, they have Tennessee this week. They're one of my favorite bets. Uh, I think Indy's going to win this week and get to 7-5. and 
And they haven't beaten a lot of good teams, but I don't know if I've ever remembered a team being over 500 at this point of the year being talked about less throughout the year than the Colts have. Is that a fair, is that a fair kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think they have a rookie quarterback and then he gets hurt and everybody just kind of forgets about them, but they're quietly hanging in there and have a good shot to make the playoffs. They're currently in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure their gambling odds are even money. Like I think it's minus 110 both ways um, to make the playoffs. It's it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, They are, you know, you don't think of them. You look at Minshew's numbers and it's not, doesn't wow you or anything like that. They are actually, uh, in terms of their team total overs, Shane, they are the best team total over team in the NFL from a gambling standpoint. They've hit their team total over uh, nine times in their 11 games. For anyone out there who doesn't know that, obviously every game has a spread and has a total. And if the total is 44 points and you know the Eagles are a one-point favorite, that means that their team total over is going to be 22 and a half. So the Colts have hit that nine times. And you wouldn't think of them, oh, what a dynamic offense, cash and overs. But that's what the Colts have been, actually, this year. All right. Let's move on to the New York Giants. Uh, We've got the New England Patriots at the New York Giants. Uh, Thought about using it here, Shane. I'm not going to use them. Keep it in my back pocket. Yeah, I thought about it, too. I thought about it, too. Tommy DeVito. You remember when Bill Belichick versus a rookie quarterback was game over, Mark? Well, <laughs> not when it's, it's Tommy he just, DeVito. He just lost to a UDFA Tommy DeVito 10 to 7. Uh, the Patriots missed a 35 yard field goal that would have tied the game. Mac Jones started and was benched for like the fourth time this season after throwing two picks. Uh, this was Jones's fifth career game with zero touchdowns and two or more interceptions. Bailey Zappi came in in relief and averaged 1.1 air yards per attempt, the third <laughs> lowest in the next-gen stats era. Um, your guy Jalen Hyatt had a career-high 109 receiving yards for the Giants, five receptions on six targets. So, uh, I don't know. Honestly, terrible outcome for the Giants, who desperately need a quarterback, and they've won their way out of the May-Williams sweepstakes at this point. The funny thing about the Giants is I was listening to a podcast that a Giants fan was on and um, he was talking about kind of the upcoming draft and he was he was against tanking. So he was like happy that they were winning for the culture, which I which I think we both agree is stupid. They should have wanted to lose this week, um, especially against New England, who only has two wins. Um, But he was saying you look at how they've drafted and it is besides Evan Neal, who's a catastrophe. Um, you look at their recent drafts, they've done a decent job. Um, this year, Deontay Banks looks excellent. John Michael Schmitz looks excellent. They have another guy that they drafted a little bit later. I think it's, I might have his name wrong. Micah McFadden. Is that a name? Is I, I think that's the name I heard him say what was playing fantastic. Um, and then even last year, there were a couple players, obviously Jalen Hyatt, you just mentioned, um, five catches, 109 yards, big game kind of breaking out here. Um, so even though it's been such a depressing year for the Giants, and I almost think, and I, I've kind of said this for a while now, I almost think it's kind of the best case a little bit where you might be able to get out of this Daniel Jones thing. And the money only really is due for one more year. So you could go and draft a guy and just be like, all right, we're dealing with the Daniel Jones contract next year. 
either play Jones or let him rest up. Uh, you know, I, I think it almost gives you a little bit of an out. Um, and obviously it would be better if they lost the last two games. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think this season going, you know, so poorly right now, I think they're the butt of the joke, but I'm not ready to just say like, Oh, the giants are screwed forever. And Brian Dable's not a good coach anymore. And Joe Shane's not a good GM. I think this was kind of just the year from hell for them. They lost. Yeah, this Saquon is, off the this is what they needed to happen last year. Yeah. They were too good last year. That's honestly the problem. Like, that probably it, it messed up the timeline a little bit for yep. sure. And then you go out and you get Darren Waller. That's probably something you shouldn't have done mm-hmm. um, trading a draft pick for that. And it, it almost forced you to go and make a couple of decisions to try and compete with a team that was nowhere near ready to compete. Um, yep. But I, I do think ultimately this is kind of the best thing to happen to the giants on the other side of things. Lose baby lose. It's all you can do if you're the new England Patriots right now. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Tennessee, where the Carolina Panthers uh, faced off with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Titans win 17-10. to 10. I don't care about the result of this game. Um, they gave themselves a chance to tie the game late. Bryce Young threw short of the sticks on fourth down to end the game. But the Panthers, after this game, they fired head coach Frank Wright, quarterback coach Josh McCallan, and running back coach Deuce Staley. And that's just not the problem. It's not the problem. Um, The problem is a bottom three roster in the NFL. You gave up way too much to move up to number one to take QB three in the draft. And it's just the real issue. The real issue is David Tepper, who David Tepper comes into the league and you know, you hire Matt Rule and you fire Matt Rule and Matt Rule was a bad hire to begin with. And then you hire Frank Reich and you fire Frank Reich 11 games later because he couldn't make Bryce Young look good. A quarterback, there was a lot of questions about being able to translate his play to the NFL. So you should be firing your GM, except there's all kinds of reporting about David Tepper was very adamant that he wanted Bryce Young. The best, the best owners are the ones that write the checks and stay out of the draft room. And he didn't do that. And this franchise is going to pay the price for it for years to come. And ironically, not only did they pass on CJ Stroud to take Bryce Young, they traded what's going to be the number one overall pick this year to go get him. So essentially, they gave up Caleb Williams and CJ Stroud to go get Bryce Young. And I'm not even saying Bryce Young can't ever be the guy. He The guy doesn't have a chance. They have no weapons. Their offensive line's a disaster. And he's a guy that needs a very specific set of circumstances to thrive. Uh, I've got a friend that's a Panthers fan, and he was asking me, like, what's the solution for the Panthers? And I was like, the solution is to draft three offensive linemen and pray that – Bryce Young develops because another year like this will ruin Bryce Young. They've got to keep him upright. They've got to keep him healthy and they got to get somebody in there that can work with him, but changing head coaches every 11 games, that's not going to do it. Uh, The Panthers. I I would rather be a giants fan than a Panthers fan right now for looking at what the future holds. I'd rather be a Patriot. There's not an organization that I, that comes to mind right now that is in a more depressing state than the Panthers. No, absolutely not. Panthers are, Absolutely number one on that power rankings. Um, they messed up the Bryce Young's drought thing. I messed it up. I thought Bryce Young was the pick. Um, plenty of people out there did. 
Um, I don't think they gave up too much just relative to what you have to give up to move up the amount of picks they did. They just picked their own guy. Right, um, right. They, they went up, and if they picked Stroud, it would have been an incredible trade, in my yeah. opinion, to give up more instead of extra first-round picks. I still think that was the smart thing to do, but it ultimately did screw your guy out of having a competent receiver as well. So, yeah, it's it's a mess. Um, Tepper is a disaster. He's, um, since Daniel Snyder sold, he's cl- become clearly the worst owner in the sport. I don't even know if you know this. He spent, like, millions upon millions maybe even hundreds of millions to try to build a practice facility um for the panthers in west virginia and it's just been like a disaster and it like hasn't been finished and it like is just like abandoned right now in the middle of west virginia it's this guy's just a disaster i I don't know how he made the money he made in his in his businesses in his real life because man he has no idea how to run a football team this is the elon musk of the nfl (laughs) <laughs> what team is elon gonna buy you think the panthers maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right let's get into the sunday afternoon games uh we'll go los angeles rams at the arizona cardinals uh mark i'm gonna throw my one minute morning or my one oh, minute flag on you here so i was even thinking you- about it t-minus one minute this is just one of the I have a segment on my show. I don't know if Shane, I think Shane doesn't watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but um I have a segment on my radio show called The Donkey Brains of the Week. Who who has donkey brains? Who did something worthy of having donkey brains? Me having the Arizona Cardinals as my best bet of the week was me having donkey brains. I loved Arizona plus three. Kyler had covered his first two games back. I thought I was getting a little bit of a a discount. Maybe the Cardinals were better than they'd been. Nope. The Rams absolutely smacked them. They never, they were up eight to seven in this game, Arizona. And then after that, the Rams outscored them 30 to six for the rest of the game. The one nice thing for me, my guy, Notre Dame running back, Kyron Williams, Looks like a bona fide stud at the NFL level. And he looked like this before his injury. I was a little worried he'd come back, wouldn't look the same. He had his best game potentially in this game. So really happy to see that for Kyle. I will forever be upset with myself for talking myself off of Kyron Williams because of his speed. Uh, I was concerned about that. And then he didn't run the 40 and I, I just dropped him down my board further than I should have. Yeah, and I I still had him as a a third-round pick, but I would have definitely had him as a top of the second-round pick. And you look at what he – I mean, 16 carries, 143 yards, nine yards per carry, six catches for 61 yards and two touchdowns. He's like an incredible blocker. Mm -hmm. It's just – I mean, he's – He's going to, I think he's going to, this is here to stay. I don't think this is just, you see a lot in fantasy. These running backs have these, these runs at the end of seasons. Like I think the Rams can plan going forward as with Kyron Williams as their running back. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to Denver uh, and let's talk Cleveland Browns at the Denver Broncos. Uh, Denver wins this game 29 to 12. The Broncos rush for 169 yards against the Browns defense while limiting the Browns to 162 net passing yards on 42 attempts. Uh, they stood strong in the red zone and forced two field goal attempts. Uh, the, the Broncos are on a big winning streak. I don't think it's going to stick. Um, and here's why 
their defense has generated 15 takeaways over the last four games. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's keeping the team afloat. The offense, if you look at like the advanced metrics and stuff, the offense really hasn't been much better during this winning streak and down in and down out, like success rate, the defense hasn't either, but they're forcing tons of turnovers and they're, I mean, they are writing it into a potential playoff berth. I just don't think it's real. Like, their defensive success rate since the Dolphins game is 25th in the league, but they've added 53 EPA on turnovers. And the gap between them and number two is the same as the gap between number two and number 28. It's not sustainable. And I think when that turnover luck runs out, you're still going to be looking at a below average defense and a mediocre offense. And I just don't think it's sustainable. I don't think the Broncos are going to make the playoffs. If we have to watch the Broncos in the playoffs instead of Buffalo or Houston, (laughs) come on. Like, give me something interesting. Give me Josh Allen. Give me C.J. Stroud. Don't give me Denver. Don't give me Cleveland. At least I'm biased because I, like, weirdly like the Steelers. And I've had this like thing the last couple of years where I bet on the Steelers a lot. And I, I yeah, I, and I like Tomlin. So I, I feel like the Steelers are probably in that same boat with Denver and Cleveland where it's like, it'd be better. Yeah. maybe if They, didn't they, make they it. at least have a competent quarterback. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, well, Denver's Russ is confident. Okay. Yeah. No, you know, is that too much? what no he's fine the Steelers are just different like the Steelers truly have an elite defense yes and and, yes and they've got a rushing attack like I I don't make me watch the Broncos in the playoffs sorry Broncos fans yeah and this Cleveland looking at the other side here Cleveland is I mean how many bad things can happen to an organization if there truly is karma on this world I mean, look no further than the 2023 Cleveland Browns. Nick Chubb uh, goes out for the year in week two. Deshaun Watson, obviously, after his best game in five years, probably, or four years, wherever it was, it comes out right after that he's uh, he's done for the year. Now, Miles Garrett is uh, is injured. It looks like he might not play this, this upcoming game. Um, I guess he couldn't lift his arm um, after the game on Sunday. Um, he has a, as a case for MVP, not just defensive player of the year with how important he's been for this Cleveland team. They just, I mean, the hits keep on coming to the point where I spend now DTR Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's actually shown some flash got hurt in this game, got concussed. He's probably going to miss this week. Um, they're going to have to go with Joe Flacco. It looks like, it looks like Joe Flacco in 2023 will be starting a game for the Cleveland Browns. And that just feels unacceptable. <laughs> I don't know. That might be better than Deshaun Watson at this point. Sean Watson was five and one this year. It's pretty crazy to talk about. Um, Deshaun Watson. It's almost like if you could script it better for Deshaun Watson, you couldn't where he didn't play well until the last game. Uh, but he can say that they were five and one with him. And he can say like, oh, look at that last game. And then he comes back next year and you almost have like a a whole other year until he's really on the hot seat. And that contract makes it hard for him to be on the hot seat anyway. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to Las Vegas where the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Las Vegas Raiders. You put me on the clock for this one. I'm putting you on the clock. One minute warning. I didn't see a second. T minus one minute. All right. Here we go. As I 
scramble to pull my notes back up, but I got time because this was <laughs> not a good game. Kansas City found themselves down 14 to zero early after generating only 13 yards on their first two drives, but then they went on back to back 70 plus yard touchdown drives to take the lead and they never looked back. Uh, Travis Kelsey had 91 yards and he topped 11,000 career yards. He's the only player in chiefs history to hit that mark and the fastest tight end to the mark in NFL history. Uh, Rasheed Rice had 107 yards and a touchdown. Rasheed Rice is going to be huge moving forward. Uh, the Chiefs need to have him ready by the playoffs. A guy that you can trust in addition seconds. to Travis Kelsey for reasons we saw last week against the Eagles. Uh, the Chiefs defense allowed only 113 yards in the second half, and they held Josh Jacobs to 16 Nine, yards eight, on eight carries. Seven, it was six, a fun story getting five, the interim head coach four, boost. Three, the Raiders just need to rebuild. Two, They're not there one, yet. Zero. All right. So that brings us to Sunday night football. Um, and on Sunday night football, we have the Baltimore Ravens against the Los Angeles Chargers. The Ravens win this game 20 to 10. Uh, Los Angeles opened the game with a field goal drive, and that was honestly as good as this game got. Uh, they turned the ball over four times against the vaunted Ravens defense. Uh, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert each had a fumble in this game. And Baltimore wasn't firing on all cylinders either, but they doubled up the Chargers. They tried a field goal on fourth and one from the 26, and Justin Tucker missed it, which seems like karma when you try a field goal on fourth and one. Uh, but Zay Flowers ripped off a 37-yard touchdown on a jet sweep to seal the game for Baltimore. And in this game, Lamar Jackson officially topped 5,000 career rushing yards, becoming the fourth quarterback to ever do that. Mark, can you name? The other three quarterbacks. What, what was the stat? How many rushing yards? 5,000 career rushing yards as a quarterback. Vic. Yep. Hmm. 5,000 career. Randall? Nope. More hmm. recent. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, this is tough. Let me... I feel like I'm going to make a terrible guess here. It's tough because all the guys I'm thinking, like Cam probably didn't get there, right? He did get there. Cam's okay, Cam got one. there. And then one other one. Give me the third. Give me the third. He's currently an active NFL player. And we've already talked about him on this podcast. It's not Jalen. Russell Wilson. Yeah. Oh, wow. He had that much rushing yards? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's shocking to me. Wow. 5,000? Yep. Wow, I have to go back and look because I, I guess I'm just so used to now like current Russell Wilson that right. the thought of him running that much like shocks me. Yeah, yeah, wow. he has 5,232 yards in his career. That's shocking. Well, I guess he would have like probably just got there recently. But yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, so he just topped it this season actually. I'm now I'm like now I'm like diving on Football Reference. That like that shocked me. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you you got? Anything you want to point out on this game, or were you still de icing from the Eagles game? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm almost like exhausted of doing it. And um, Sean Bernard, uh, I, I I don't know if you know him. He does some stuff with Edge of Philly Sports um, with dives with mostly Sixers stuff. He's a Sixers guy, but um, he's my co-host on my radio show, and uh, he is a big time Justin Herbert hater, like more than me, I'd say. Um, which probably shocks Shane to hear that there's someone more than me. 
that that can't stand Justin Herbert. But um, he puts out clips every time we talk about Herbert on the show. And it just gets me in trouble on Twitter and the Instagram comments. And I get mean DMs from Charger fans, I guess, or like Oregon fans or Justin Herbert fans. It's crazy, the Justin Herbert discourse. But at a certain point, the results have to matter. The results have to matter at some point. He's four and seven. They scored 10 points in prime time. They, they were, were they at home? Was this a home game for the, I Yeah, it remember. was a home game. Yeah. And not, well, I guess they, that, that's one thing that you can't blame him for. They never really have a home game, but at least it wasn't a road game. And you put up 10 points. Everyone tells me, you know, it's always the defense's fault. And the defense looks to have played a pretty good game, holding Lamar to 177 yards. Um, I just think at a certain point, Justin Herbert gets more credit than anyone I've ever seen while accomplishing less than anyone I've ever seen. And, you know, that's fine. Ben Solak can go and put him fourth on his QB rankings while putting Jalen Hurts sixth. I, I think he's an absolute fraud for doing so. And I think that, you know, the the tape community sometimes gets too locked in on some things that they hold precious to their heart without realizing that, oh, yeah, being mobile actually matters. Like having the not that Justin Herbert isn't mobile, but I think Jalen Hurts is obviously on another level of that where I don't think it's exactly a one to one fair comparison just to compare them as strictly pocket passers without taking into account everything else Jalen Hurts brings. Ranking Justin Herbert over Jalen Hurts is just I. I, I don't even really have words for, for how upset it makes me. And that my problem with Justin Herbert is, and this is kind of exactly what I want to drill it down to. My problem with Justin Herbert is not that he is not good. I said it on last week's show. The one touchdown he had was in my opinion, probably the most impressive dart of the season um, into the end zone uh, between two, between two guys, really small windows, really good throw. But Justin Herbert's 29 and 31 in his career. Lamar's 54 and 19. Jalen Hurts is 33 and 12. Josh Allen's 58 and 30. Patrick Mahomes is 72 and 19. He can't be with those guys until he accomplishes something. And I'm not saying he has to win a Super Bowl. I'm not saying he has to go to a Super Bowl. I'm not saying he has to go to a conference championship. But all those guys have had 12 win seasons, or all those guys have won a playoff game. They, they've all accomplished something in a way that I'd like to see Justin Herbert accomplish something before we start putting him over guys like Jalen Hurts, who took his team to a Super Bowl and then stood toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and put up 35 in the game. Um, I just – not even I, – I don't even want to start this discourse, Shane, but – because two has been bad lately. No, <laughs> like, no I, I'm not I, willing no. to listen to this. I, well, I'm not I'm – not, I'm just – I just have a stat that you'll hate. But Tua, I'm, 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 this is not me saying Tua is better than Justin Herbert at all. That's not what I'm saying because Tua is – I think I've actually been more critical of Tua lately than anybody else. I feel like a lot of people are just shrugging their shoulders because the Dolphins keep winning. I, I'm nervous about Tua. I think so. he does not look like himself at all right now, um, especially once you get him off script. But taking that aside, Tua Tungabailoa has as many wins as Justin Herbert in 16 less starts. That's That's all I had to say. <laughs> Same amount of wins. All right. All right. All right. Let's move on to the last game. It is Monday night football. And I thought, on... by the way, I thought about saving the one minute warning for the last game, but I was like, ah, it's the most recent game. I'll, I'll, I'll let it play out. Yeah. 
Uh, I yeah, I thought about it as well, honestly. Except I wanted to talk about. I needed to get our last element of our title in here about the pastronaut being grounded uh. Uh, after back to back wins. The Josh Jobs magic ran out. He's recorded his second straight loss. He threw four interceptions in this game. Uh, he held the ball a long time. He wasn't decisive as a scrambler. He had far too many mistakes. On the or on the Bears side, though, the offense was just atrocious. Like Justin Fields had a time to throw of three point three seven seconds with an average depth of target of two point seven yards. Anytime your time to throw is higher than your average depth of target. That's bad. That was the fourth highest time to throw with the lowest A dot in the league this week. And against a super blitz heavy team. The teams combined for six turnovers and one touchdown. The touchdown was scored by the losing team. This Bears win is the first win this season by a team who failed to score a touchdown, which is just truly mind blowing stuff. Uh, they win 12 to 10. Uh, what was your takeaway from this one? I. I fell in love with Josh Dobbs. I fell hard. Uh, I, I I took this one hard. I I was watching this game like I was a Vikings fan. Um, rooting for Josh Dobbs. I had a big Vikings bet on it. Um, it's he was horrible. I mean, he was just absolutely horrible in this game. They said they're going to evaluate their options at quarterback, which seems crazy after how good he's looked at times. But yeah, I guess you have to. He was that atrocious, and losing that game was inexcusable and that opens up two spots potentially in the NFC playoffs if they can't get it together and they do have a couple tough games remaining I thought that we kind of counted this Chicago game as a win for Minnesota um, in in that playoff chase but obviously not the case Um, I would say it's a really bad loss for Chicago if they didn't have the number one pick coming to them from Carolina Uh, but would have been nice to still lose this game yeah yeah. I don't even know. Like now nah, this isn't a, this isn't a fixing your franchise. We'll we'll do that later in the season. So, uh yeah. all of the teams just by the way, if you're a new listener to the podcast this season, once we get down to the end of the year, usually the last week, we don't really so much talk about the games for non-playoff teams. Uh instead, we do a fixing your franchise thing where we kind of talk about what moves we would be looking at the off-season. We'll save that for Chicago. We're going to get there. Uh, we'll do a lot of content into the off season as well. So you guys can stay tuned for that. We'll throw it to our final thoughts here. Mark, I, I, I kind of want to cancel a team. And okay. You know I, what that means. That they're going to win next week. They're going to win next week. Yeah. Uh, I. But the problem is like the teams I want to cancel might still make the playoffs. Like I want to cancel the jets cause they're just atrocious, but Aaron Rodgers is maybe going to come back in a week or two. And then that's going to look bad. So I'm just going to play it safe here. And I haven't canceled this team yet. I'm going to cancel the Raiders. The, the Raiders like post fire. Josh McDaniels bump was fun. Raiders do yourself a favor and lose out. Just lose some more football games. Stop, stop winning. They should have just, they should have just kept Josh McDaniels for the year. So they would have had the number one pick. They made a mistake. It's not very often. I'll say firing Josh McDaniels was a mistake. They should have just waited, wait till the off season and secure that number one pick. So Raiders for the good Raiders fans, for the good of your franchise, I'm canceling you stop winning football games, please. Yeah, no, it's a fair, it's a fair criticism. They need to, they need to figure out quarterback badly. 
All right. Uh, any final thoughts that you got for us, Mark? Um, just my picks for the week. Uh, just my look ahead picks. Uh, let me pull them up right here. Uh, I like the Colts, like I mentioned, money line at the Titans. I like the Colts team total over 21 and a half. I like the Dolphins mine and at, minus nine and a half at the Commanders. I like the Panthers plus five and a half at the Bucks. That's a dead coach bounce game, fired coach revenge game there for Carolina. Um, I like Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown, which opened at plus 103 on ESPN bet, which is just yeah, I don't know how it goes from minus 160 one week. He scores twice, and then it's plus 103 the next week. I don't know how that makes sense. Um, and then give me the Eagles plus three, which is also a travesty. Give me the under at 40 in Browns, Rams. If Joe Flacco's playing, that's going to be a hammer play. Give me an under anytime Joe Flacco's playing. And then a teaser of the Dolphins, Chiefs, and Jags this week. That's kind of my – that's what I'll be looking at. All right, there you guys have it. You can check out Mark's show on Saturday, the Tough Cover Radio Show. He's going to get into all kinds of college football stuff. He's going to get into bets and things as we get closer to the game. But those are his look-ahead bets. Thank you guys for joining us for Episode 132 of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, smash that subscribe button, turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you stream our podcast. That helps us get it out there to more people. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. We will catch you guys next time.